Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. What is the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? The church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is where our trouble began. This sounds to me like the voice of someone who really has an appalling ignorance of what the Bible says about itself and what Jesus said about it. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Uh-oh. I think we got ourselves a problem here. It's the Wretched Radio Mail Call Delivery Bag Q&A Infotainment Nationwide Extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! I'm better now. Don't worry. My mouth is emptied. This is Wretched Radio. But I think that I could use an intervention. Jimmy, there's something about almond croissants. Oh, Mrs. Friel brought one in for me. Oh, that was nice. I have to eat it. You know, almond croissants, I think, are, are they're my comfort food. Where you, I just eat them and it's like, it is well with my soul. But Everything the- is fine in the world with a really good almond croissant. But not a lot of people make good almond croissants. I'll tell you that much. I know because I've checked most of them out. They either put too much of the almond paste in the middle of it or they don't put any at all, which would make it a croissant, not an almond croissant. You're saying it wrong. Croissant. That's better. (laughs) You're listening to the very erudite, wretched radio, hoping that you will send questions, comments, conundrums or snarks to idea at wretched.org. Don't forget sermons, stories, articles, anything wretched. Please send it to idea at wretched.org. Jimmy, could you make this kind of a long one? Uh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, the first one comes from Anton, who says, uh, Todd, based on churches that I've attended in my life, I've seen a clear pattern. The more theologically sound a church is, the worse the fellowship is. Mm. So my guess is the more conservative churches focus very much on theology, head knowledge, and less on loving others, where the more liberal churches focus a bit more on loving others than knowing the Bible. So how can conservative churches enhance their fellowship? I think that observation is actually fair. There's even... It's funny because I've heard Presbyterians, I've heard Lutherans, I've heard different denominations make jokes about being the frozen chosen. We're conservative. We think we've got everything right, which you should think, <laughs> recognizing you probably have a little this or that going on. But they call themselves the frozen chosen. In fact, some denominations will even make a joke. A guy dies. He goes to heaven. Peter lets him through the pearly gates giving him a tour of the place, and there was this really long, tall brick wall, and the fellow finally said to Peter, excuse me, sir, what is that? And he said, shh, on the other side of that wall are the Christians who think they're the only ones here. Something like that. And it's sort of like, (laughs) it's good to be conservative. It's good to be biblical. But if a high view of Scripture even proclaimed expositionally, is not delivered with love, out of love, in order to increase love of Jesus Christ, you you will not see a flourishing of love in the body. 
So let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. If this observation is correct, the more conservative you are, the chillier you tend to be. And I think that observation has some truth in it. It's not exclusive, most certainly. But let's ask the question, how are we going to respond to that? Well, let's have a low view of the Bible. That's not an option. Well, let's stop focusing so much on theology. That's not an option. I think that there are at least two things that you can do to cultivate a culture of love and fellowship inside of the body. Number one, pastor, if you're an expositor, salute, sir, stay faithful. But please make sure that the tone of your preaching is less of a pontification of facts and more directed toward stirring the heart through the open door of the brain. So teach truth, but teach it lovingly. Let your people hear loving words from you so that they start to model after you. And they will. They will. Pastor, if you see something in your body that is a, and I'm not talking about your person, I'm talking about the church body, that is something where you go, oh, well, I don't like that inside of there. You might have that thing yourself because you do have that kind of influence. So be super loving. And make sure that you are also preaching application. I have now several times heard Steve Lawson. His magazine is called Expositor's Magazine. What do you think he's into? He travels around the globe teaching pastors how to preach rightly. He teaches homiletics at the Master Seminary. This is a guy who's big into expositing, and even he has been critiquing lately. There's just too, there's just too much of a, of a knowledge download that's being dumped all over people and they're 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 getting facts but they are not getting any fervor or zeal for their love for the lord so watch for those two things pastor and i su suspect that you will start to see an increased culture of love i'll i'll tell you our church um we don't play when it comes to theology preaching teaching liturgy it's 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 earnest, but it's a loving congregation. You will feel it when you come to our church. Why? Pastor, loving, preaching, applying. Sunday school should be that also applying. That could be the greatest need of our day right now, by the way, in the evangelical community. And it is the application of the word to directly to somebody's heart, not just through preaching. That needs to be there, too, but through one-on-one -on -one biblical counseling. Speaking of which, as I speak, Dr. Dale Johnson from the ACBC is actually in our Transform studio. And we're recording season two of Transformed, which is a program about biblical counseling. And you talk to anybody who has immersed him or herself even a little bit into the biblical counseling community, and they will tell you the need is so great. Might want to think about becoming a biblical counselor yourself. Biblicalcounseling.com. Email sent to idea at wretched.org. All right. Uh, speaking of love, let's stay on, on that theme. We have a question from Quentin who says, uh, Todd, in 1 John 2.15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does it mean exactly by love the world? Um. Could you maybe just read that verse again for me? That's <laughs> First John 2.15. It's so good. I want to hear that again. Love not the world, mm -hmm. neither the things that are in the world. If any man love All the right, world. All right, we're good. Okay. <laughs> the word world is the key. 
This is why good hermeneutics is so crucial. Doing word studies, which are not hard to do at all. If you've never done it, boy, you're in for a treat. These days, they've got the transliteration of the Greek. So you don't even need to know your Greek letters and symbols. You can just, you can go read the Greek put into English so that you can understand the word. And the word world is a wide semantic range and it depends on the context. The word world can mean the planet, the thing that we walk on. It could mean a group like everybody who lives on the planet. It could be a really particular group of people or, and this is first John, world typically means world system, the anti-God ideologies, the values, the priorities, the goals that are anti-Christ. That's the world system. It is peddled by lies generated from the pit by the devil, who's the father of lies, to get you to not find your sufficiency in Christ and to go looking elsewhere and to question and to doubt and to be contra-Christian. That's the world system. And that's what John had in mind. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Jesus said, you live in the world. Just don't be of the world. Okay, so you live on this planet with all of these people. Just don't be a part of the world system. That is tricky in application because, well, in a sense, we are. Because um, the, the technology we're using has been created from the world. I, I, I have to operate with certain rules when I drive a vehicle out onto a public road. And we have, we have formalities. We have some manners. They're diminishing in our time. But there are some manners that exist. So I'm, I'm a part of this place. I'm in, I got to go to work. We got to put food on the table. I just don't love that stuff. That's not my pursuit in life. That's not my goal. That's not the highest order. I'm about Jesus. And yeah, yeah, we're doing these things because they need to be done. Sometimes it's just, just as simple as being utilitarian. It just needs to be done other times so I can raise money so that I can support my local church, so that I can support other ministries that you conclude do good work. That's what we're doing here. We are here to serve King Jesus, pursue him, become like him. And we do that as we're living in the world in the best and wisest way that you can find this delicate and tricky balance sometimes is to be in a community of believers who can help you and tell you, dude, I think you're getting a little worldly. I, I think your thinking is out of whack. The, the stuff that you're doing or buying or, or saying, um, I, let's talk about that. I'll, ta I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll take you out to a place that has a really good croissant because nothing, nothing can stimulate good religious conversations quite like an almond croissant. Although I've heard people say hard liquor does that, which just gets me. I've had some of the best spiritual conversations with a glass of brandy. Oh, I'm... I'm sure you thought you did. <laughs> Idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. Thanks to our partners, we were able to create channels of food supplies from neighboring countries of Moldova and Romania. Over 45 tons of non-perishable food supplies were brought 
ESPN and delivered to thousands of people across small towns and cities that suffered from the war. That is our dear brother Max from the Tomorrow Clubs in Ukraine continuing to preach the gospel, opening up kids' clubs where they can, and because of the war, providing resources, providing food and shelter and prayer, and of course, the gospel to people who are in need. If you have never considered supporting Tomorrow Clubs, this might be the right time. You are needed in Ukraine. Tomorrow Clubs will do the work. They will take care of the distribution. They just need the resources. Would you please consider providing them? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hello and gracias. That means thank you in Spanish for our Uno lingual listeners. Gracias for listening to Wretched Radio today, where you learn all kinds of things. And another place you're able to learn stuff, the Wretched website. That's right, Wretched.org is full of amazing content, like each full 30-minute TV episode, our full daily radio episodes. You can also use the nifty search bar to find hundreds of topics that have been discussed on either radio or TV. The Wretched store is there too, and it's loaded with over 40 resources, all produced with the help of our gospel partners. If you're already an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner, thank you. Your efforts and support have helped us reach millions of people with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a monthly Wretched Gospel partner, would you prayerfully and thoughtfully consider becoming one? You can find answers to virtually any question you have about becoming a gospel partner at wretched.org slash donate. Or you can text the word Wretched to 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. The war for life is not over. The war for life has just begun. Dan Steiner from preborn.org slash wretched. Our partner clinic in um, Buffalo, New York, is firebombed. A clinic in Longmont, Colorado also was burned. And so this is the essence of who we are as Christians. We war not against flesh and blood. The implication is that we are, in fact, at war, and we are. The war for life rages on state by state, city by city, block by block, woman by woman. Would you please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched, providing free ultrasound, providing counseling, providing parental training, providing Similac, providing clothes, providing diapers, and offering them the good news of the gospel. We are at war for life. Please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 387 AD, Augustine of Hippo is converted. His writings became bedrock for the Middle Ages and were influential in the Reformation. The Confessions and City of God are still read by many. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. No, I'm not doing lines of cocaine. This is Wretched Radio. I'm having a powdered sugar fest here. This almond croissant, which is pretty tasty. It's powdered all over the top of the desk and my face. <laughs> and please note, I am not doing cocaine at the moment. <laughs> at the moment. Never I just, boy, that is just something that, oof. I, I, I'm not a fan of needles. I can do them, I, 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 but I'd like to turn away. If they ever do a blood draw, it's like, I'll, uh, look at, well, what are they doing over there? <laughs> I just don't like looking at that stuff, let alone putting stuff into my mouth, my eyes, my ears, or my nose. Hmm. I don't, 
hey, who is the first person to say, I wonder if we can get stuff inside of us if we just sniff really hard? <laughs> who is that person? I don't. It wouldn't have been me. So if it had been up to me, people would not be hooked on crack these days. Please send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. The things we learn on Wretched. Mm-hmm. All right. This one comes from Dawson. Todd, where in the Bible does it talk about making a marriage official? There's an argument out there that the Bible doesn't have any legal processes of establishing a marriage. Well, it probably doesn't have a legal process based on 21st century standards. But there are indeed very regular references about marriage. And the marriage ceremony that we have patterned Western marriage from is found right in the book of Genesis. The language that Adam uses, the first recorded words of a human being, is a covenantal vow that this woman, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, joined together, that a man leaves father and mother, cleaves to his wife. That, that lingo is found in Genesis. And so we see God's marriage covenant ceremony right away. Now, do we see other ceremonies like that? And the answer is no, we don't. And, and there's a reason for that. There isn't a formula that is required to make a marriage a marriage, but we do know what the components are. There is some sort of vow taking, a covenantal process. And we know that even if we, there are times we can study literature outside of the Bible to help us understand some things that are Christian. And that would be how marriages were done in the Jewish community. We see that in the New Testament when Jesus talks about marriage and uses it parabically, talks about the, the man being betrothed to a woman. And we even hear with his life that Mary and Joseph, there was a betrothal that took place. Well, where do we think that came from? Buddhism? It came from a, just a culturally understood norm that there must be some sort of covenant ceremony because that's what marriage is. And we find that in the book of Genesis, the birth of Jesus, we see that there is some sort of a process, but it doesn't need to be formulaic. So what makes a marriage a marriage? I think that if there's any sort of public vowing till death do us part between a man and a woman, you're married. You don't need the state to tell you that. You just need the state for tax benefits, but you don't need the state to tell you that you're married. You need God to tell you that. And whether you are a Christian or not, if you take a vow with somebody, you have made a vow and God holds you to it. And you are in a genuine marriage, even if you did not invoke God. So there, there might be some Christians who have struggled with this. They weren't saved. They got married, maybe even had kids. Then they get saved and it's like, whoa. So that marriage ceremony that we did at the courthouse, is that binding? Yeah, because it was a public ceremony. It happened to be at the court, but it was still a public testimony. You had to have witnesses. All you need is at least a witness, and you're doing it publicly. I think the more people, the merrier for so many reasons. But you're married. You are married. Well, what if we didn't say some of the phrases Adam used in Genesis? Did you make a public vow? You're married. Till death do you part. Please send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. All right. This one comes from Owen. Todd, when I look back on history, I struggle to know which Bible has the correct canon. How can I know? History. Church history. 
will tell you, if you do any sort of cursory study of textual criticism and uh, canonicity, you will learn that in the first century already, the church was agreeing uh, those letters, those that that's inspired. That Peter said that about Paul's writings, didn't he? That people twist his words like they do other scriptures. So there was already a recognition in the first century. But interlopers came along and people that were trying to peddle their wares, they would present the gospel of Barnabas, the gospel of Peter. And the church suddenly had to answer the question that you're struggling with. And this is one of the benefits of church history. There is probably nothing that we're dealing with that hasn't been dealt with already. That's what good church history should teach. Thinking about doing something about church history. I've got my notes all over my desk to, to present church history. And with one of the components being, what do we learn that we can apply today? So let's go back to their early church. First century, they identified the books that we have in our Bible today. There came interlopers demanding, we would like to be allowed in too, please. So there was a council that was called to determine, all right, we, we got to just, this is it. We got too many people being tricked by false gospels and false epistles. So they codified, they canonized the books that you as a Protestant have in your Bible today. But you say, what about the Apocrypha? Please, let's just stay in early church history. Nobody was saying these books should be in. Even Jerome, who translated the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible, he didn't, he didn't want to admit they weren't a part of it. They, I think he translated them, but he didn't say, these are, this is scripture. These are something else. And, and they can be interesting to learn from. Got to be careful because there might be times when it's like, huh, well, if I'm reading something like this close to the original historical events, it, it's on the same level of scripture. It's not. And by the way, I do encourage you, go read a pseudepigraphal book. Go read an apocryphal book that wasn't included in the canon until the 16th century. It just, they, I'm telling you, they feel different, which interestingly is one of the reads, one of the measurements of canonicity. I know that it, this sounds subjective, and I suppose to a degree it is, but there were certain criteria that were used at the Council of Nicaea. I think there were five standards, if I recall. Now, one of them, of course, would be who wrote the thing, how close to the original the apostle or to Jesus was this person? What do we have agreement in the in the church world that everybody goes, yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely in or not. But one of the reads was that it feels like scripture. And you go, what do you mean it feels like scripture? I mean, it feels like scripture. For instance, I've got, well, we'll probably do this next week. Ulrich Zwingli, Christian nationalist. This is from American something I don't have my glasses on. It's hard to eat an almond croissant with glasses on if you're going to eat it rightly. So let me just read a sentence. The publication of Bruce Gordon's much-awaited biography of Ulrich Zwingli in 2021 could not have arrived at a better time. That's what that sounds like. I'm going to open up my Bible, my MacArthur Study Bible that we're encouraging you to send to the Philippines to our brothers and sisters at wretched.org slash Bible. And this, oh, let's not do Psalms. So here's Nehemiah. And I will need my glasses. Hold on, croissant. I'll get back to you. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, 
from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes. 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. It feels different, doesn't it? It just, it's just a different style. It, it's a different, almost, it's not, but it, it feels like a different genre, almost. It feels like scripture. And they kicked out the ones that didn't feel that way. So why is it that we have some Bibles that have a few more books than others? Well, you can thank Martin Luther. That's right. You can thank Martin Luther because he's the one who started questioning the church. If you recall, in 1521, nailing the 95 Theses to the door of a church in Wittenberg, he had complaints against the Roman Catholic Church. 1517. What did I say? 1521. That's I thought what, I thought it was fifteen twenty one. That's when they kicked him out. Ah, like I said, when they kicked him out was fifteen twenty one. So fifteen seventeen. Oh, I sure hope Steve Lawson isn't listening to this. He'd excommunicate me. He started to open up more and more problems inside of the Roman Catholic Church. Purgatory, the baptisms for the dead. And the church now found themselves in a bit of a pickle. Wait a second. If we get rid of purgatory, we get rid of our device to squeeze people for more coins in the coffers so that we can have more money. So what did they do? They went and found some books that hinted at some of those subjects. And it, believe me, even in the apocryphal books, it's mere hints of purgatory. They said, there it is. There's our proof text right there. Let's make that a part of the Bible. And so they did. So the apocryphal books that Roman Catholics have in their Bibles, they were not there until 15, I probably shouldn't say a day, 1517. It was probably like 1549. It was probably with the Council of Trent that it went from about 1545 to 1549, give or take. So if you're a Protestant, you've got 39 and 27 books in your Bible. You've got the right Bible. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. According to recent reports, the CDC is promoting a new online community for teens ages 13 to 19. LGBTQ teens, that is. And it's a place where they can go and chat about sex, polyamorous relationships, the occult, sex change operations, and activism. This community is called QChat Space, and it's being run by Planned Parenthood. And it's designed in such a way where it can be quickly hidden from parents. And here are some of the discussions your 13-year-old can participate in. Drag Culture 101, Sex and Relationships, oh, how about having multiple genders? And it's all brought to you by Planned Parenthood and the CDC. You know, the very trustworthy CDC who has everyone's best interests in mind. Parents. Don't assume anyone has the best interest of your children in mind, ever. My parents took me to a therapist who affirmed my male identity. I really didn't understand all the ramifications of any of the medical decisions I was making. My parents, on the other hand, were pressured to continue my so-called gender journey. Now that was the voice of Chloe Cole, who was speaking before the California legislature last month, urging them not to allow minors to make permanent life-altering decisions to mutilate their bodies. She's also appeared at a Florida hearing, sharing her story to politicians there. At 17, Chloe says she regrets making decisions that have permanently altered the rest of her life. And this is exactly what happens when parents are prevented from parenting their children. 
Now, the Biden administration is intent and determined to murder babies by any means, including using the civil rights amendments. In an announcement this week by the HHS Office for Civil Rights, pharmacists cannot deny access to prescription medication used for reproductive health, aka murdering babies in the womb. If they do, they risk violating civil rights law. And Attorney General Merrick Garland is also joining the party by stating that the Justice Department will take enforcement against any states who ban the abortion meds. You know, I sure do sleep better at night knowing our leaders won't ever stop attempting to murder babies. Don't you? But the state of Texas, they're not having it. They filed suit against the Biden administration for guidance they released earlier in the week by the HHS that states that federal law trumps state law and they urged abortion doctors in Texas to continue. Ken Paxton, Texas's attorney general, wasn't playing that game. He released a statement after filing the lawsuit and said, quote, This administration has a hard time following the law, and I will ensure President Biden will be forced to comply with the Supreme Court's decision. You know, that quote there about this administration having a hard time following the law, that's as accurate of a description as I've heard anyone give about this presidency. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. First and Second Kings relate the history of Israel from Solomon through the division of Israel into two kingdoms to the destruction of both kingdoms. Though Israel and Judah and their kings were often unfaithful, God continually calls His people to repentance through His prophets. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Please share questions, comments, conundrums, snarks, and to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. If you see something wretched, please be a giver. Share it. Send it to idea at wretched.org. All right. This one is from Anonimu. Oh, who is it? Anonimu. Yeah, well, who? Oh, I see. Yeah. Got it, Anonimu. So you're French. Yeah, that's right. I'm ah, trying to teach. Is, this is a French day. We've now had a nom croissant. But you won't continue saying that. You no, call it a croissant. Well, because otherwise I'll spit all over people. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. This is from Anonimu. He says, there's a friend of ours in our young adult life group that we're not particularly close with, but he does have a tendency for coarse jesting. Mm. What would be a good way to approach him? You have got an ally. You have got an authority that you can invoke and bring with you to help a brother or sister. When you see a brother or sister who's struggling in an area, I don't know about you, but my propensity is to judge it, critique it, feel better about myself, and then tell him what his problem is. And we can do that almost second nature. We have to stop, slow our roll, and say, okay, this is a brother. What's going on? It's not a preference issue. It's a sin issue. Am I seeing it repeatedly? Because if it's a one-off sort of deal, you, you let those go. You, you just, if, For instance, if your friend made some sort of double entendre, and you were like, well, that's kind of out of character, and you don't hear it again, then just let it go. We don't need to be tagging one another on every single thing that we do that is an infraction of what we even perceive to be a rule. Instead, uh-oh, my buddy's in trouble. I, I want to go in and help my brother or sister. It could be an education thing. It could be just a lack of awareness that he's actually doing these things. So how can I approach him lovingly, respectfully, helpfully? 
and biblically. So I would encourage you after you've prayed to make sure that your heart is right with helping your brother, grab yourself Ephesians chapter 5. It actually starts in 428, if I'm not mistaken. And let the Bible do the speaking. Let no corrupt, it's verse 28. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You heard a bit of a put off, put on there, didn't you? Stop doing this, but start doing that. Don't don't cut your tongue out of your mouth. Use it for edification purposes. So let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It talks about being kind. Don't let a root of bitterness take hold in your life. Then it is in chapter 5. I want to say verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness of covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither, here it is, filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. There it is again, put off, put on. Don't do this. Don't, no, no sort of jokes. No filthy talk, no coarse language, no double entendres. Use it to build up, to edify, to help. That's what we're supposed to be doing with our tongues. Of course, James reiterates that multiple times in his epistle. Bring your Bible to your friend and say, hey, let's take a look at this. Because, brother, I love you. And there's something that, that, that I've been observing about you that is just out of character with the man I know you to be. Open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and just read it to him and say, then you can use your study. Hold on a second. We'll use our study notes. So when it uses words like no filthiness, let no one clean talk, I can simply now look down on my MacArthur study Bible, and I can figure out what these words actually mean. So here is fornication covenant not fitting. These three inappropriate sins of the tongue include any speech that is obscene and degrading or foolish and dirty, as well as suggestive and immoral wit. All such are destructive of holy living and godly testimony and should be confessed, forsaken, and replaced, put on, by open expressions of thankfulness. Now, it doesn't have coarse jesting identified because it probably means coarse jesting. But then you could even use that footnote to say, hey, this is this is what we're called to. And I've noticed you have a tendency to not. How can I help you? Is there something that I can do to help you to have a tongue that is built for edification and thankfulness? Idea at wretched.org. All right, uh, this next one comes from Matt. Todd, would you be so kind as to explain to me the specific differences between patriarchy and complementarianism? Well, it probably is going to depend on who you ask. So let me give some broad definitions and ranges that agree inside of these two categories that have some overlap but are, are distinct, at least in the 21st century. Complementarianism, you hear the root word complement. It is the view that God made male and female certain gifts, certain roles, certain assignments, and we complement one another when we perform our giftings uniquely made by God. 
for the edification of family, for the edification of society, my local church, my world. And so we see complementary roles with more rules that tell us how that dynamic should operate. You you just have to be thankful that God did this. If God did not lay down the rules about what do men do, what do women do, um, aren't we, don't we already see that war taking place in our culture? Don't we already see them just bad? <laughs> see, this is the problem with eating a croissant, Jimmy. I'm t- <laughs> I've only been doing this as an object lesson to make sure that you, if you're going to do a podcast or radio or whatever you do, do not eat a powdered sugared almond croissant. Otherwise, <clears throat> you'll sound really unprofessional. <laughs> Inside of these roles and dynamics, God says, I'm going to I'm just going to end the debate for you. You don't need to fight about it. Here it is, sir. You're the spiritual leader of your home, sir. Primarily your job to be the provider, the protector. That's your job. Do that job. And you have authority over your wife and children because you are where the buck stops. You are the one responsible for this unit. And then the woman is called to submission, which is not a bad word. It is just the way that God has defined the roles for us so that we aren't constantly squabbling. If you think the divorce rate is high now, and so some people would say that that spiritual leadership of the man is patriarchal. And seriously, it depends on who you ask. Some people only use that word as a pejorative. Some people use that word sometimes to actually play a more of an authoritarian dictatorial role. That's not what that's not what a patriarch should be doing because we see Jesus the servant leader, the serving, the giving, the sacrificing leader, the first shall be last. Don't put yourself at the head of the table. And that's the type of we're supposed to be the feet washers. And aren't you glad that isn't a contemporary practice? Might I do a shout out for the sake of the rest of humanity at this moment now that it's summertime? Sandals are not a right. Sandals are a privilege. Cut your toenails. And if your little tootsies <laughs> are gnarly, nasty, unkept, and maybe shockingly disfigured, please bless the rest of us and put on a pair of tennis shoes. You can wear it with white socks. They got those little ankle deals now all over the place, and you'll be just fine this summer. Thank you. That concludes this message from the emergency broadcast system. So it depends on who uses the word patriarchy. The man is supposed to be the leader, so I guess that would qualify, depending on the semantic range, as patriarch. But we've got to be careful to make sure that we define how we play that role, because it can become, as some people use pejoratively, patriarchal. And we've seen this where there are some they just they're abusive to their wives. They're terrible. They are degrading. Hey, I work today. Get my sandwich. I'm the patriarch. And okay, well, it maybe wasn't delivered that sharply. Um, I've spoken to enough women who are in that type of a mindset marriage, and it ain't fun. That's not the way. We don't lord it over. We're not patriarchs in that way. We, we don't crush. We don't come down on. We come from underneath to lift up, to build up, to serve, to give, to help, and to grow our family spiritually. So 
What's the difference between the two? Well, I guess the answer is it depends. Did receive an email from somebody about the role of women in worship. What about worship leader? What about Sunday school teacher, et cetera? If you would like to do a deep dive on this, here's here's the basic principle is eldership, and I believe also deaconship, male office. And then women do pretty much anything else inside of the church, including teaching other women or teaching children. Those, those, those are the, the, the lines that I think we should be able to draw pretty straight and say, that's, that's the principle here. Now, what about worship leader? And I think you're going to have different Christians with different opinions on some of the, and we can wrangle over those and that's okay, but let's, let's agree on the big stuff that should guide us through those conversations. And if you'd like to do a deeper dive into that, visit cbmw.org, cbmw.org. And they really dive deep into the roles of men and women in the church. This is Wretched Radio. Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles. And the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines. But they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Are we heading toward a dystopian society? Who decides what is good and evil? Who decides what truth is? Are there such things as fate or free will? Morals? Are we born with those? Or does the culture we live in inform them? Those are all really good questions and topics that we tackle daily on Wretched Radio and TV. Our goal has always been to preach the gospel, equip others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we're only able to do that with the help of our gospel partners. If you are a Wretched Gospel partner, thank you so much for your support, which has allowed us to create compelling quality productions that catch the eye of unbelievers, but aren't so cringy they make believers blush. And if you aren't currently, would you pray about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Help us continue to reach millions all over the world with the gospel. Just visit wretched.org donate, or you can also so just as easily text the word wretched to the number 44321. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare? Affordable Biblical Health Sharing has a 98% approval rating. 
400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Attributes of God Do you think God explodes with anger when you sin? Remember the word impassibility. It means that God is without passion. His affections, such as wrath, anger and love, are always foreknown, voluntary and controlled. And they are always consistent with God's unchanging nature. And his wrath has been settled on the cross. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And I thought we were friends. This is Wretched Radio. Haven't you been busy specifically finding church signs to call and leave at one 877 beep I thought we were friends. You know how agitated I get with these church signs. Some are good. Most, not so much. Church sign, question, comment, conundrum, snark, whatever, idea at wretched.org or 1-877-282. Hey, Todd, this is Steve. I got a church sign for you. Church sign says, when life is not a bed of roses, remember who wore the thorns. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Have you ever heard the term lowbrow humor? And there, which indicates, of course, there's a highbrow. There is also a more guttural language. There would be street speech. There would be academic lingo, poetic language. So we, we've got degrees of communication of whether it's high or low. And while this bed of roses church sign it's true when we are feeling the sting of the thorns in our lives, we need to remember Jesus, he, he, he took those thorns for us. It is well with my soul. He'll take me through this. He's been through worse. He has the power. He has the strength and he cares about us. And so I am going to feel a little bit better about my difficult circumstances because the big issue has been settled for me and I can get through this little temporary trial for a great weight of glory that awaits me. That is our hope. And please remember the word hope doesn't mean cross your fingers. Well, I sure hope there's a heaven and God exists and I get to go. No, this is our hope. We know this to be true. And this then is what pulls us toward it and gives us the strength to desire to be like what is promised to us that we will be like in glory. So if we're going to do a church sign to talk about these concepts, and it's kind of like, or whatever sound effect you want to insert, just, just, just think about higher speech when we're talking about God. So little cutesy, little quippy, little cheeky sort of stuff. Um, just too low for our God. One eight seven seven two eight two. Oh boy, beep. Church sign. <laughs> you need a lifeguard? 
Ours walks on water. Okay, then. See? Thank you very much, sir, for calling and making my point exactly. Church time. God recycles. He made you from dust. Don't we have enough to say without using cultural references to show that we are, like, cool and hip and relevant? By the way, if you ever want to do a fun study on recycling, you might be shocked at how inefficient it isn't or is. I guess that was a double negative critique of it. Let's not feel the need to bring our God down so that it makes it look like we're relevant. Besides, I don't think that's what the world wants right now. I think the world wants more. Well, we'll do this sometime next week. But Jordan Peterson just recorded a video where he was encouraging the churches to start addressing young men. And he's absolutely right. And to pull them up, help them to be men, put them to work, expect things from them. And, and, And I think that people are hungry for what we have to offer. So when we make it seem kind of like... Trite. Well, they don't have what I want. That silly church sign. No, I was looking for something weighty. And I don't think I'm going to find glory in that church. I'm going to find something that's common. Church time. The fires of Pentecost are still burning. Come and see. Hmm. I wonder what kind of church that happens to be. (laughs) You don't want fire. Okay. Now, I know you think, well, I want zeal. Then pray for zeal. Do not ask God for fire, because it's always in the Bible a refining fire. It's a purging fire. It's a burning fire. And you don't want to be scorched. All of this calling down, fire, fire, we want the fire. No, actually, you don't. Think about what it is you desire. Articulate that. Because if you call down fire from heaven, uh, that never ends well, ever. Church time. Get online with God. Upload your worries. There it is. See? There it is. Was was anything false in that? No, it wasn't false. Just common. Just street. Just kind of base. Church time. If God had a refrigerator, your, would your picture, picture would be, be on it? it. Okay, sure. <laughs> I had a joke about that when I did stand-up. Oh, no. uh, My mother. Oh, I'm telling you, my mother. You know, I'm the baby in the family, and you never stop being the baby in the family. At a birthday party, was lighting the candles, and and my mother said, Hey, hey, don't put that that matchstick in the garbage can. You could start a fire. And I said, Well, Mom, I'm going to run it underneath some water. Well, make sure it's cold water. Okay. All right, Mom. Fine. And and there was something, too. Wow, am I having a flashback? It was inspired by the almond croissant. It was, uh, uh, oh, oh, I know. Oh, (laughs) this actually isn't a terrible joke. It's not great, but it's not bad. For my mother's birthday. She likes impressionist paintings, so I got one of those fancy oil paintings with a really ornate frame. She hung it on the refrigerator with magnets. See what being the baby looks like. one 282 beep one 282 The more you call, the less jokes I do. Church sign, Jesus was God's selfie. That's okay. Colossians 1, yes. It just, I promise you, 
when we see God, trite is not going to be in our vocabulary. Silly, low. Does that mean that God is humorless? No, he laughs. He has a sense of humor. Jesus exhibited a sense of humor. It was a Jewish sense of humor, but it was it was a sense of humor nevertheless. So God isn't dour, you know, he's crabby, but he's high and holy and he's exalted and he's lifted up. And when we describe him, even when we use illustrations that involve him, we, let's just let's just pull ourselves up to try to represent God as the transcendent God that he actually is. Church time, yabba dabba do. Jesus loves you. <laughs> That's good stuff there. That might win right there. Talk about a current reference. You know, the kids, they still love the Flint. Does the Flintstone still probably on some comedy network probably. someplace? Okay, you get that joke. I get it, but it's a joke. And what is Fred Flintstone? have to do with God loving you. Nothing. Church sign. Oh, it's blank. Okay, wait a second. I didn't hear a word he said because I could actually hear all the words he was saying. <laughs> How did he do that? Uh, he emailed that one in, I think. No, well, what do you mean he emailed? Oh, like he sent us an email with a, a voice recording. Right, yes, yes. Hmm, how hard is it to do that? Because this sounds really good. Church sign. Oh, it's blank. Yeah, it's not very hard to do. No, now you're going to have to explain to me what oh, it's blank means. Uh, the the sign was oh, blank. Oh, he's just saying. Yeah. I thought he was reading the sign. Oh, it's blank. Yeah. What? I'm missing that one. Oh, the church sign is blank. You yeah. know what? For most of these churches, that's probably better that way. Church sign. Whoever wrote Easy Like Sunday Morning. Never had to get their family ready for church. <laughs> <laughs> don't let Lionel Richie hear that. I think he, was, he sang it. I don't know if he wrote it. That was when he was in the Commodores. I'm easy like Sunday morning. It's interesting that Sunday morning, it does feel easy, doesn't it? It's calmer out there. That's unfortunate because there used to be a day when Sunday morning, it was a busy morning. Because you were getting ready for church. You were getting the kids dressed. You were getting ready for your Bible study, whatever it was. And more and more in our culture, yeah, Sunday morning, it is easy. Very easy. Church sign, the key to heaven was hung on a nail. Correct. Yep. That's that. Thank you, church. That's that's. That's correct. <sighs> Church sign, Marble Falls, Texas. No rules. Jet Jesus. Wait, what was that? Uh, he, Marble Falls, Texas, I think he said. Okay. The church sign was in there, and he said, no rules, just Jesus. Wait a second. That's a rule. <laughs> just Jesus is a rule, so you've already violated your principle. We do have rules in Christianity, starting with the fact that we have rules in Christianity. Of course, there's rules. The biblical word would be laws, commands, precepts. It's a part. This, 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 this mere Christianity that is so pervasive. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. Thanks. I thought you were my friend. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs> 